The scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you. Thank you that we can gather together to sing your praise. You, Christ, are the highest. There is no other name above yours. Father, we pray that you would work through not only your word as it's preached, but as it's read, as we sing. May you be made much of. Father, your word tells us that we would be a people to live exemplary lives among our culture. May we be that by your power, by your strength. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts, quicken our minds to your call to that beautiful mystery of the good news of Jesus of Nazareth, our Lord and our Messiah. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, this is the, uh, the third week in a series that we've been calling Family Matters. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry, did I do that? Oh, sorry. Bad pop culture reference, people from the 90s, you, you get that, right? All right, so sorry, we, when, when we came up with the title of this series, I was like, yes, I get to bring back something like Family Matters. Um, so we're continuing this series on the vows, on membership, on what it means to be a member of the church, the vows that you take. And I'd highly encourage you, if this is your first week with us, or if you've missed one of the last two weeks, this week, take time to go back and to listen to those messages, because... In, a, uh, in week one, we unpacked what it means to be a member, what, what the vows are, and what it means to take a vow. And last week was vow one, and so he un- and Doug unpacked what was vow one, what was the emphasis of that. And I'm, I'm not going to necessarily recap. The only recapping I'm going to do is to kind of give a picture again. So Doug last week in vow one told us the bad news. Doug told us just how bad the situation really is for us. It's like you're stuck on a plane full of snakes. 
It's, it's like you're stuck on a plane where the pilots decided to eat the fish and everybody got sick. It's like you're stuck on an island with a crazy guy and a case of knives and a polar bear and a smoke monster. How many more pop culture references can I weave into this thing? Um, th- but it's actually not like that. It's far worse. Our situation is far, far, far worse. You and I, we are sinners. We have sinned against God, the creator of heaven and earth. We have committed cosmic treason against the king. That's the picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You and I, we were dead in our sin. It's game over, man, game over. There's an obscure one for you. Paul explains this, what it means to be dead in our sin and dead in our transgressions. We followed the ways of the world. We wanted to be our own little kings, have our own little kingdoms. Ultimately, we wanted to follow ourselves rather than the king. And so we followed our own cravings, the desires of our heart. I am the captain of my soul. I had a professor in seminary who would illustrate it this way. If you took all the passages that kind of summarized our condition before God, we were dead, we were blind, we were stuck in a pit in utter darkness. You are not getting out of this on your own. The bad news is bad. It's terrible. A lifeline has to be cast, but so much more than that. Life has to be breathed into you. New life has to be given. Something has to be offered. And that's the good news. Something was. And so this week, as we talk about vow two, vow two, what you say is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Our vow today explains the simplicity and yet the mystery of what is offered to us. You see, it's this idea, if, 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 and we've used this illustration before, if you don't know how bad the bad news is, the good news does not look all that good to you. If you don't understand just how bad your treason against the Creator is, then Christ is not going to be very big to you. The the gap in which He crossed will not be that great. But if you really understand it, it's going to be massive. Christ will be everything, the cross will be everything. We need to understand how bad the bad news is. We need to take heart what it means to commit treason against the Creator, what it means to, to, to as Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, paint the picture of us. Because if we really grasp it, then verse 4 is going to be the sweetest words we've ever heard. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and if you don't want know what mercy is, it's withholding the deserved wrath. The wrath that you deserve, God withholds. That's verse 3. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Sermon over. (laughs) It's simple. Really? And yet it's so profound you can spend the rest of your life pondering what this means for you and your life. God, because of his love, brings life to people 
in Jesus. So how do you get that? What do you have to do to be saved? Our vow today answers that question. In Acts 16, actually, uh, there's, there's a story of Peter and Silas, and, and they're in, really, their second home. They're in prison, and, and this massive earthquake takes place, and chains burst, and, and, and gates fling open, and the jailer who's watching over them is like, oh, no. All the prisoners probably have just taken off because nothing's holding them back anymore. But when he sees that not a single prisoner has escaped, he, he runs in amazement to Peter and, he, and Silas, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Peter's answer is simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. See, our vow today explains this and unpacks a little bit more. Believe, receive, and rest. Believe the simple truth. Receive the gift that it is. Then rest in it because it's finished. Now I'm going to unpack these three verbs. What or who are you to believe in? And what does receiving and resting look like? And in asking, in asking do you believe, and, and I'm going to spend probably more time this morning on this point than, than receive and rest. But in asking, do you believe, as Doug opened up with the call to worship, we're saying, do you trust that Jesus, this person 2,000 years ago from the backwater town of Nazareth, is more than meets the eye? We're claiming, we are believing, we are affirming, we are trusting that he is Lord and Savior. In other words, that he is King and Messiah. To expand it further, that he is, that you are believing and you are trusting in the person and work of Christ. That's what Romans 10.9 gets at a little bit further, expands the person and work of Christ. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the person of Christ, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, the work of Christ. In claiming that Jesus is Lord, you, the Son of God, you're affirming his divinity. You're affirming the divinity of Jesus, that he is, as John wrote in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're affirming the person of Christ, that he is king over all of creation, that he is king over all other kings, ruler over all other rulers. In saying, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You're pledging your allegiance to him, that you have no other Lord but him. In the, in the history of the early church, there's a story of, of a man, and his name was Polycarp. He was a bishop in, in Smyrna. He was a disciple of John, the John who was a disciple of Jesus. And, and he was roughly 86 years old when he was burned at the stake. And before that took place, he was in a, in a mock trial, really. And, and he was told he just needs to refute that Jesus is Lord. In fact, really, he just needed to do a simple gesture. It could be an empty gesture. It could be an, a, a gesture void of any meaning. Place a small amount of incense on an altar to Caesar. Then he could go away and continue worshiping Jesus in his heart. His reply ultimately was his death sentence. But it has stayed with the church throughout the ages because it speaks of the deep affirmation of what it means to say, Jesus is Lord. He said this to the leaders. He said, for Eighty and six years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. 
And how can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? In that phrase, my king who saved me, Polycarp was affirming the person of Christ and the work of Christ. They go both hand in hand. He was saying, he is my Lord and my Savior. That's the fundamentals of Christianity. That's it. Simple. And yet so profound that a man would be willing to face his own death for that. And and claiming him as Savior, you're claiming that he lived a perfect life. One that you and I couldn't, but the law demanded of us. And he died the lawbreakers, ours, death, the one that we deserved. So when you see, like in Romans 10.9 or 1 Corinthians 11.26, the passages that talk about believe that he was raised from the dead, or we we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In these, you're seeing aspects of his work. We're professing aspects of the work of Christ. That what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection is our salvation. That's why we are saved. That's it. The king has taken the place of the pauper and raised us up. So the question is, do you believe in the person of Christ, Jesus, Lord of all, both God and man? And do you believe in the work of Christ, his life and death, as the means to restore your relationship to God, your creator? It's simple and yet utterly profound. Because in that, you and I are affirming not only that he bought us, but that he is our king. Followers of Jesus are part of a new kingdom. Followers of Jesus are part of a new family, citizens of another kingdom that is still to come. And because we're citizens of that kingdom and not this kingdom, it calls us to ponder what does it mean here and now for our minds, our ethics, our careers, our churches, our relation to the world, our mission, our lives in light of this coming kingdom, in light of our foreign king. To claim Jesus is Lord and Savior is to claim no corner of your life is yours anymore. You and I are foreigners here and now. We are exiles here and now, citizens of another homeland. All of this is wrapped up in that simple yet profound, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of sinners? Now, believing is one thing, but receiving and resting is something more. By, by having these verbs in this vow, we, we are claiming the nature of this salvation. We're claiming that it is a gift to be received, and because it's reliant upon the person and work of Jesus and not you, it's It's finished as seen in the resurrection, as testified in in the resurrection. And we rest upon the person who did all this work and who who, who did all this in restoring our relationship to God and bringing us into this family and bringing us into his kingdom. That's the beauty of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is faith? Trusting in the person and work of Christ. And this, the faith, is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by your works, so that no one can boast. You and I bring nothing to the equation. 
We bring nothing to this new family and to this new kingdom. You are not God's gift to the church. You didn't clean yourself up enough. You didn't do enough good things. In fact, if, if we, needs our, we need our egos kept in check, Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven writes that God chose the foolish, he chose the weak, he chose the lowly, so nobody can boast. So what can we do? Simply receive the gift of salvation. Freely offered to those who would admit they have a need. Who would admit that they are broken. Who would, ad- who would admit their weakness. Open arms, open hands. And in that, find rest. Find peace. I, I want you to imagine uh, with me, take a moment to, to close your eyes and imagine whether it's a, a person or a place. But I'm sure we all have someone or something that when we think back to, when we, we pause to think about, it's kind, we, we kind of feel rest, calm, a peace. You know, a man and I have been, been trying to hug daily, and I'm thinking, what, you guys don't hug? What? Okay, that's weird. No, but, you know, not, hug a little bit longer than the typical, hi, love you, going to work. We've, we've been trying to take time to actually just, just hug each other, and, and there's, now there's plenty of science for the power of a hug, and we could talk about that there are people who are longing for a hug, and there are others who probably need to be hugged a little bit more. My, my point is this, that in, in these moments with Amanda, I, I, it gets to that point, I just feel... As my five-year-old and two-year-old are screaming in the background and running around in the background, it's, it's a moment of rest. It's a moment of calm. And in my head, this, this is but a weak picture, a weak illustration, a weak thought and image of what it means to rest in Jesus. It's like a child in the lap of a parent. A feeling of rest that there's nothing you have to do. A rest because it's all finished. My debt has been paid. I am his. And in that rest, it, it's expressed in places like Psalm 23 and in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, or the peace in John 14, 27. We can rest upon him because the saving is done. This is what makes Christianity different than any other religion, any other belief out there. Receive and rest. Because he did it. Not you. The saving is done. It's from, I think of the line from from one of my favorite hymns, it is well, my sin not in part but in whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. So what must you and I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. Receive His gift of salvation and finally rest upon Him. That's it. <laughs> but that's a lifelong journey. And, and my hope or my prayer is that there may be someone here for the first time who could say, I do believe. I do receive what you have offered, Jesus. And I want to rest in you. Don't let today go by 
and miss the rest and the peace that you can have in Christ Jesus. But there's others of you like myself who, who I can think back to the moments when I did this. I can remember in first grade saying a prayer. I can remember in middle school when, when, when these truths became real to me. And maybe that's you. Maybe this vow was made years ago. Maybe this vow was made decades ago for you. But I want you to notice something here. This vow is not in the past tense. It's not have you believed, received, and rest, rested. It's do you believe, receive, and rest. I think this reveals something for me and, and hopefully for you that this is not a one-time profession. And don't hear me saying that, that you can lose this I'm not saying that. What I'm saying or what I'm speaking to is there's this notion of utter daily dependence upon the one who has saved you. An utter dependence upon Jesus. It's a concept of active trust. Are you actively trusting him? When we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself daily, that's what we're saying. Daily we're saying, You are the Lord, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. And I receive and rest upon you alone for my salvation. Every day, preaching the gospel to yourself. It's a reminder of just how pervasive our own self-loving wills are. How pervasive our sin that still plagues us is. Not as unpaid for, but still as habits and vices of the former world that compete for our loves that, that, that whisper in our ear, no, you are your king. You have your own kingdom. You and I could use the daily reminder of who we are now in Christ. The daily reminder of whose kingdom you are now a part of. Where your citizenship resides. Who your king is. Often we can go about our lives and we can get distracted and we can, we can forget that we are His. We can forget that we are a part of a different kingdom. We can become uh, distracted and forgetful and lose sight that we're foreigners in this world, in this country. As we live and move in here and now, we need reminders of where our true hope and home reside. We need reminders of who our true King is. And so my challenge is, what if, what if for this week or, or for this series or for this year, you took time each day to recite this vow? Not so much as a promise from you to him, but as a reminder of him to you. May it become a prayer of dependence. May it become a prayer of, I need you. Without you, I am hopeless. One of, my, one of my all-time favorite songs is by a little-known band, and they put it this way, Grant me, Lord, what I can't afford to be made right, to be restored. Take not thy spirit from my chest, or I regress, or I regress. It isn't saying that he will take his spirit, but it's this, this notion of utter dependence upon him for life. Without him, I regress. I need him every day in my life, every moment in my life. It's, it's, if you've ever heard of Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence of God, it's that. I need you. Lord, have mercy on me. Remind me that I am yours. Remind me that I'm a part of your kingdom, that you are my king, that you are my Lord. 
And this is, this is the takeaway. This, this week, daily preach to yourself. Daily remind yourself whose you are, who is your king and your savior. So one thing we're going to do as we close this week, and we did it last week, right? We said the vow together in a, in a, in a prayer-like way. We, we reminded ourselves of, of, of where we were, the bad news. And so this week we're going to say vow too, but we're also going to say the Apostles' Creed together because um, I, I want you to think of the Apostles' Creed almost as like, or the, the, the vow, vow too, as an abridged version of the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's an abridged version of we're saying, I believe and God, and Jesus, and the Father, three in one, as my Savior. As we talked about kingdom, and, and who, our, who our King is, and, and, and who our Lord is, and what He has accomplished, I want you to see that the Apostles' Creed is, is almost like the church's Pledge of Allegiance. It's been passed down for millennia. It's been said all across this globe. It's a declaration of our belief in a foreign king, the triune God who has saved us and then called us to just rest upon him. And we always started with church, what do you believe? Right? I want you to understand that as, as we say it, and as Doug said and I said, it's, it's not just intellectual mental assent. It can't be just that. We're saying, I believe with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength that Christ is Lord, that he is king, that he is savior, that he has suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and buried, but then he came bursting forth and will come again. We're saying, my life, my all is yours. It's like the song that we're also going to sing in Christ alone. That's where I live. That's where I stand. I give my life, my all, to Christ alone. And until he returns, or until he calls you or me home, here in the power of Christ, we stand. So I'm going to ask that you, you stand with me. And as we proclaim what we believe, uh, in, in whom we believe, my final thought is this. If, if you're not there yet, if you can't say, yes, I believe and receive and rest upon you, Christ, I still would like you to stand with us. But don't say the words. Instead, ponder. Who are these people who would say they give everything to this guy they've never seen? What would drive someone to do that? And hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if, if you do believe, but, but you're in a place of doubt, you're in a place of, I do, but I, I don't. I, I want you to hear the people around you. That you have brothers and sisters who are alongside of you. There's room for doubt. But hear our brothers and sisters. Hear that we join in something that goes beyond these walls. And finally, if you do believe, say it loud. And proud. Not in you, but in Him. So I ask that you stand with me now. And we'll start with the membership vow. Church, what do you believe? We are the church who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. 
and who receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has offered in the gospel. And brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are yours. Not because we're good enough, not because we we not because even we're here. We are yours because of your Son. Christ, we claim you as King. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. May we receive that. May we rest upon you. May we truly in our hearts believe it's finished. So we can be a people that goes out into a broken world and shines bright, full of hope, full of joy. In you, Christ. Father, as as we take time also to not just sing, but to give you our tithes and our offerings, Lord, in that act of worship, it is but a small fraction of what the King has lavished upon us. So we may, give, may we give generously, may we give joyously to your kingdom to be, to be accomplished. Lord, not that Stonebridge would be known, not that our own names would be known, but that you, Christ, would be known in Charlotte and in Brooklyn and India and the other ends of the earth as the King of all kings. In your name we pray. Amen.